service to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. You are. And I am Ben Harrison. We're doing that wrestling move where where I get into the ring and you point at me, and then you get into the ring and I point at you. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of pyro. Yeah. What kind of wrestler would you be if you were a wrestler? Would you be like uh, Spikes and... Face paint, or would you just be uh, like a dad-looking guy in a in a leotard? <laughs> a lot of those guys are wearing like jean shorts these days. I don't yeah. think I would be that type of wrestler. I know that the crowd would not like me. <laughs> if our live shows are, are, if our live shows tell us anything, yeah, like, I think we could both agree on that. We'd be heels, even if I was positioned as a face. I think that they would <laughs> they would prefer the heel to win. God. When was the last time you wore or owned jean shorts? It has been a Boy, long time for me. I think it was middle school was probably the last time. Wow. Yeah, very unkind. Sartorial, sartorially unkind are, are the jean shorts. I don't understand the point, you know? If you want to get cool, you don't want to wear denim anyway. Oh, man, that little dang old breezy, man. It's like a tank top made out of, made out of like, merino wool or something, you know? It's like, <laughs> it's like a chainmail tank top uh, made of wool and not chains. Yeah, it's really working at cross purposes <laughs> and not protecting you from pipes. Let off some steam venom. Are you staying cool in the summer heat, Ben? Mm, I'm trying to. I realized yeah. that I I used to live when I lived in Brooklyn our place had air conditioning that was like there was a unit in a couple of the rooms so if we were like it, it was nighttime and way too hot we could turn on the air conditioner in our bedroom and and get a nice cool bedroom and not have to pay to cool the entire house off and my place in LA like you can there are louvers on all the in in all the rooms to shut off the mm-hmm. the air but i think the only temperature gauge is in the actual thermostat so like we've had situations where i like i want to like keep our bedroom cold so i'll close all the louvers all all throughout the house and set it to like you know 74 degrees or something and I know everybody in Canada and Europe is like, what? But that's that's our dumb <laughs> system of weights and measures here. Uh, set it to 74 degrees, which uh, uh, should should be a, a nice sleeping temperature. Uh, and it gets like s- insanely frosty in there because the thermostat never detects. It, it thinks that like right. at, no it. matter what it does, it's, it's still 80 degrees or whatever. So... You got a couple of closed systems not connected to the main system. Yeah. I think mm. I need to get one of those smart ones that like that like has sensors around the house, but I'm a renter, you know? I don't want to spend 300 bucks on a thermostat that oh, I'm then going to have to rip out of the wall. You now you're just soliciting sponsors. That's <laughs> what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Just just nakedly soliciting smart thermostats right now. Nothing we want less than Sponsors for the show, Adam. <laughs> Am I right? 
One uh, cooling technology that I've been fucking around with lately is the Otter Pop. Mm. And uh, Otter Pop recently changed their their recipe, Ben. They are a not artificial color, not artificial flavor Wow. brand of thing. And so they all look the same, which is why they have a white wrapper and not a clear wrapper anymore. Interesting. I don't know exactly where the Otter Pop distribution area is but i know that they are not a thing on the west on the east coast oh really it's like a Uh, hellman's mayonnaise situation yeah like they're like they have this thing but uh, the otter pop brand is unknown to uh, many parts of the of the world it's the it's not quite sherbet but it's like a frozen it's like popsicle stuff in a plastic tube that you like rip the top off of and then you can kind of like push the popsicle material out of the tube bit by bit as you eat. Right. And they're sold dod. Crucially, this is what you know. When you buy them, they're they're squishy and liquid. It's a delayed gratification item. Yeah. 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 Uh, my review of the new Otter Pops is a little bit mixed, though, because uh, something about the consistency is different than the way it used to be. Like, the old Otter Pop mm. uh, was a little more icy, than this, and I feel like modern Otter Pop is very shaly and uh, and flaky. Oh, it's isn't like that a, weird? Is it like a granita? Yeah, it's more like that. Not bad. Uh, still, still, what you need to get you through a hot day. But I think that's that's been sort of a thing that I haven't had since I was a kid, and now I'm starting to eat them again. Probably wow. terrible for me. Look at that. You can order a hundred Otter Pops for eight dollars off of a major internet retailer. Yeah, why, were, why were my parents so stingy with these? Like the price can't have gone down since I was a kid. Ben, you can get like five hundred at Popular Membership Warehouse Club for like fifteen bucks. Wow! I need to have like a pool party at my parents-in-law's place with with Otter Pops. Can I come to that pool party? I love a pool party at your parents-in-law's place. That would be great. All right, let's make it happen. Let's do it. Ah, uh, one thing we have to make happen. This episode, Ben, is our discussion. Uh, the show has been given to us in a way that we must complete. There's a word for that. I'm trying to think of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's also the name of the episode. It's season five, episode five, The Assignment. <laughs> yeah, that is the name of the episode, isn't it? <laughs> Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> <laughs> No, of course you don't. Ben, like uh, like morning in America, it is also morning at Quarks. Yeah. Crack of dawn. Uh, is Quarks a 24-hour establishment? It doesn't seem that way. It closes all the time. I wondered about this because we know that Rom works the night shift. Yeah. He's here for breakfast, as yeah. is Morn. So does yeah. Morn work the night shift? Or does Morn just like, is he like a classic alcoholic who parties all night and sleeps all day hmm well morton seems to be there all the time the overnight shift is going to be a midnight to eight o'clock situation so if ram is getting off at around eight that's not like that's not a super early time for a diner or restaurant to open no so i guess you could you could argue that he's open regular hours and then he closes at at bar close but don't a lot of people that work the night shift have like breakfast type food before they head to work Hmm. I mean, 
I have on occasion worked that shift for up to a month at a time and it didn't change my diet in any way. It mm. probably should have. <laughs> yeah, what the hell? I just tried to live a normal life. Yeah. And that is not a normal life. Yeah, no. Swing doesn't sound so bad. I think I could do a, a three to midnight situation, two to midnight. Yeah. Oh, is that what time it is? Is 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 it the afternoon? Yeah. This does kind of have the feel of a bar that's like in between the lunch rush and happy yeah. hour. Yeah. Yeah, like first shift is commonly like six to two-ish. Swing is after that to midnight and then... Night shift is midnight to morning, but uh, on the but on the on the Jellico proposition, those shifts are all going to get fucked up. Oh, like man. I don't. If you're going to a four shift rotation, I don't know what that does. They did go to a four shift rotation. Does that mean everyone's working between five and six hours? Yeah, that doesn't sound bad. No, no. Why isn't Riker into that? What the hell, Riker? I thought he'd be a chill boss, but it turns out he's not. Just doesn't want to deal with all the scheduling. Yeah. Rom's doing that thing that, that people in new jobs like to do sometimes. They they want to fit in. Yeah. And, uh, and for Rom, fitting in means eating the eats of the people that he works with. And so he wants to experience this at the counter. I, love, I like going to a diner and sitting at the counter, and that's what Rom is doing. He wants to be served the O'Brien breakfast by his brother. What kind of breakfast is that? Yeah. The O'Brien breakfast sounds pretty fucking heavy. I'm surprised they didn't just go with a full Irish. Yeah. I, I don't think Irish people even eat the full Irish. I think that's just for tourists. Though you've been there and you would know. What's the what's the read on that? I mean, I liked the full Irish for sure. But you wouldn't do that even twice a week, would you? No. It's a, it's a special occasion breakfast, but... Yeah. I went to... I. I uh, used to have a friend in Liverpool, and when I was doing my study abroad in Ireland, I went and visited him, and he made breakfast one morning when I was staying with him, and he just put a full English together. Like, wow. Like, he just had all the stuff around, and I was like, I, you didn't have to do this special for me. And he's like, this is uh, something something we do most days. I could really get with beans as a part of a healthy breakfast. I really could. I like beans at breakfast. Never have them, though. Yeah. You know, we should have done that in Vegas. That seems like a place where you can get beans for breakfast. You can get anything at any time of day in Vegas. You can't get a hoof before 10 a.m., I'll tell you that much. That's true. But <laughs> if you already have the hoof, you could probably get filled up with something somewhere. O'Brien should be fucking fat if he eats eggs, bacon, corned beef, hash every morning, right? Well, maybe like, he has like synth bacon, and it, uh, and he can like whoa. he can like mentally cancel the calories. I wonder if, in the same way that your shit's beamed out of you, uh, you can also <laughs> beam out a food that has made you feel too full. Feeling too full, I think, is one of the worst feelings. It's almost it's hangover adjacent for me. I hate it wow. so much. I've uh, I've rarely rarely experienced it. I think I'll, always a bit peckish. I think you and I both know I'm I'm running on some weird guts, <laughs> and I think my problem is I just get uncomfortably uh, bloated and Have gassy. Have you had, had a mechanic just like take a look down there and make sure everything's like connected correctly? I've been scoped in both ends, Ben, uh, by a professional, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, they, they both say the same thing. Uh, inconclusive. 
It's got to be really reassuring. <laughs> they say the same thing. Inconclusive, but fun. <laughs> Quirk in this scene is job shaming Rom yeah. in a way that I do not like. No, it's it's a bit weird. It it seems almost like it was written by somebody that didn't know that Rom made this like elective choice recently. Right. Yeah, because because Quirk is saying like. Like, why do you do that? Why don't you come work with me and we could look at naked babes all day? And that's just like, Quark knows what Rom did, you know? Yeah. It's one thing to have someone tell you that they're not enjoying their job and then suggest alternatives, but Rom is super into it and happy, and Quark yeah. is still twisting his arm about this. Yeah. Speaking of arm twisting, the chief and Dr. Bashir, I guess, were left jointly in charge of keeping Keiko's bonsai tree collection alive. I can't understand it. I followed Keiko's instructions to the letter. And uh, all of the trees have died, and uh, little Molly comes in, catches them with these dead trees, and starts really twisting the knife. Mommy's gonna be mad. O'Brien's like, I just don't understand why the ammonia content of the soil is so high. It's as if someone's been watering them with pure urine. (laughs) And Bashir's like, who would do a thing like that? What a terrible waste. <laughs> yeah, this is a fun scene. It's a fun scene because in my mind, I was questioning, like, where the fuck is Kira? Why would you ever give these dopes this job? Kira is the one who should be watering the plants. She knows how to care for things. Yeah, but she's uh, she's on Bajor with Shakar. Yeah. She's not and even in the episode, is she? In real life... This is the first episode in Deep Space Nine without Nanavizator. Whoa. That's it. The first one. That is amazing. Didn't think it was possible. This is all a prelude to Keiko returning to the station. She's been on Bajor for a little while. When you say something on Bajor and it and it could be taken the wrong way, is that known as pejorative? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Just wanted to clear that up. Moving on. The chief goes down to the airlock to pick up Keiko. And she uh, she accepts the death of her trees with relative chillness. Forget it, Miles. They're just plants. Surprising amount of chillness. An almost un-Keiko-like <laughs> amount of chillness. Right away, you're suspicious. This is fucking spectacular. She is wolfing down these chocolate bonbons, though. Yeah. The chief, yeah, like, take uh, it easy on those bonbons, Keiko. The chief is very gallantly, by the way, uh, putting this 100% on the doctor's shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think I think Bashir would agree to this, too. Like, he's okay being a human shield for this domestic dispute, or, yeah. or one that, that he believes is coming. Have you ever, like, majorly fucked up something of your wife's, or vice versa? Has she ever... Besides her life... I mean, like a like a, a a beloved or sentimental object. I mean, I I lost my wedding band the day after we got married. Oh yeah, that, that comes to mind. <laughs> I didn't lose it; it was ripped from my finger by the ocean. The sea was angry that day, my friends. So you have you have that story, and another friend of mine has the exact same story, which is getting in the ocean on honeymoon and losing his wedding band. Yeah. And so I always take mine off if I'm going to be getting in a body of water. My wife takes great umbrage with that. Well, 
uh, she's wrong. She's not wrong very often, Ben, but she's wrong in this case. And I'm the perfect reason why. I think that there's something very interesting that happens in in a uh, in a relationship when you've like messed somebody's shit up. Yeah. Like we were having we were, we tried to have a cookout at my house, which doesn't make any sense because we have no yard. <laughs> we have we have about 30 square feet of non-street space in front of our house. <laughs> and and my wife suggested that we push my grill down to the front of the house and and uh and do a bit of grilling down there. Like on the sidewalk by the bus stop? No, like there's there's a little like there's a little front yard. Yeah. But it's it's like there's not much of it. There's not enough of it that you could have like like it was so awkward because we we like brought some chairs out, but you could only get them along one side because if you put them on the other, there wouldn't be anywhere to walk. So it was just a bunch of people sitting in a row. It it sucked, but she also (laughs) wanted to get the grill down there, and we tried to move it, but it weighs like. Yeah, hundred hundreds of pounds because it's made out of ceramic, and right. it, instead of moving down there, it just fell over and and broke part of it. Oh shit! Yeah. Oh and no! It's a replaceable part. It's not a big deal. Yeah. But also, I have noticed that the part has not been replaced. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. So I'm just saying. I know. I know. I know what O'Brien. Is projecting onto Keiko here, <laughs> I guess. Wow. Yeah. I know, how, I know how, like, if this was really Keiko, I know how she would feel. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. And uh, suspicious behavior from Jump from her. Yeah. She starts saying, I'm not Keiko. And immediately, O'Brien starts interpreting <laughs> this as kind of a sexy, a sexy yeah. game she might be playing. No problems. <laughs> Yeah, definitely Miles pivots into bedroom game mode. Yeah, which would be a sexy game. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but she's not, she ain't playing. When the thing that has taken hold of Keiko causes her to stop breathing, I think that's when Miles knows it's not a game because Keiko doesn't usually stop breathing that long when they're playing those other bedroom <laughs> games. <laughs> yeah, he's like, but Keiko, you love Dan Savage. You know you're not supposed to engage in breath play. <laughs> Golden cut. The cut. Golden cut. So, right away, this is Rosalind Chow's episode, and she is hitting dingers from before the opening theme song. It's true, man. She, A dominant performance by her. She does not get to be the center of attention that often on this show, but yeah. I think, like, maybe, maybe taking a page from the Marina Sirtis playbook, when she gets the chance just demonstrates how criminally underused she is. Yeah. There is, um, I think you could easily go ham and cheese when you go physical as an actor. And for whatever reason, uh, she does not do that. Like she, she flails around a bunch in this episode and does a lot of physical acting. But I think where she's best is working in between those two. Like she's super venomous and expressive yeah. in some very subtle ways. And, the idea that she has been, I don't know if she's been intentionally sidelined or if she's gotten other jobs and, and is just a busy working actor, but like she's not on the show very much and it's just great to see her get an opportunity and, and really crush it. Yeah, I think the hardest thing is that changing which character she's playing within a shot right. thing. Because like she'll be 
she'll be this evil entity that's taken over her body and then be as far as anyone not Miles can tell. Yeah. Just regular old Keiko. And she'll she can flip that switch on a dime. Like she's not like I don't think Daniel Day Lewis could do this, you know? Like <laughs> like like you're never like or you know, Sean Penn is like is not able to be two different things at once because he needs to be he needs to be the character he's playing the entire time and be a yeah. dick to everyone that like, you know, comes up to the craft services table alongside him. I know that, dude. Alan Croker's a first time director on the show with this episode and I like how they he didn't he was not inclined to go full haunted house with this. Like they're not shooting her differently, they're not lighting her differently. They're yeah. not they're not changing things that would tip you off about her. They're just allowing Rosalind Chow to act. And I think that shows a lot of trust, uh, especially for a new director who I feel like would be inclined to come and splash around with, right, with these new these new characters. This is a naked performance that has to stand up or the episode doesn't work. And right. And putting all of the weight of that on Rosalind Chow... It, it doesn't take bravery, but it, it takes confidence. If you don't know the actors, it kind of does. You're just yeah. trusting their reputation or, or what they're saying their abilities are. Yeah. Anyways, uh, she is explaining that she is the... She, she, she needs the chief to do some stuff uh, technically to the station. And uh, if he does it, he can have his wife back. If he doesn't, she dies. That's the stakes. He's got to reconfigure the communication and sensor relays at the station. And Miles is like, I haven't seen either of those in years. <laughs> <laughs> Keiko changes in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> hey, actually, while you're here... <laughs> Do you mind just uh, disrobing to refamiliarize me with <laughs> with the layout? <laughs> you know, I might not ever get the chance if I get my old Keiko back. <laughs> <laughs> she uh, recoils to my touch, so and, uh, if it's if it's all the same to you, this could actually be great for me. <laughs> the pa wraith is like, you know, uh, you know, Keiko's in here, and she just won't stop screaming. I- <laughs> <laughs> you, you remember that time you like mentally went to prison for 30 years <laughs> she's kind of comparing it to that uh, uh the timing for this body snatch couldn't be worse because it's miles o'brien's birthday and there's a big party planned yeah. for tonight and so amidst all of this uh all of this honeydew list that Miles has to do for Keiko around the station. Uh, there's also this social gathering happening later, and there's a big question about how this is going to go. The reveal of this is in is in the scene when they first get home, and uh, and she like she drops the party info to Bashir, and then it like plays it off like, oh yeah, I meant to keep it as a surprise, but I blew it. Uh, and she's super cool to Bashir, and so yeah, I guess this is like the morning, right? Because yeah, Keiko got the red eye, didn't she? Yeah, she must have. I think that explains sort of the empty docking ring too, right? Like they, they're kind yeah. of isolated for long periods of time. God, I hate the red eye. I've flown the red eye so much this year. That is uh, against your contract. I cannot stand it. And I, it's not, I, I have another couple red eyes already booked. 
Oh, no. Don't know what to tell you, Ben. Yeah. Sucks. But Gotta, uh, gotta stop doing that. Rom shows up. He's uh, swinging to the swing shift. Mm-hmm. He's taken over for our, uh, Duarte, who's out sick. And, uh, you know, Ram is, uh, is really, like, first day of schooling it. He, like, shows up with his lunch pail and is, like, really trying to trying to make nice with all these engineers that he's going to be working with. It's not like this on a night shift. We don't drink Ractagino. You can tell he's a real fucking tryhard because he takes a swing shift the day after a midnight shift. And in some places, you're legally prevented from doing that because you're you're crossing over the eight-hour mark. What is the Bajoran Engineering Union up to that, that they uh, don't have their eye on the ball? I don't like this at all. Rom got off work at at midnight, and now he's coming back to work at at like three. That's Locked shitty. Up. Yeah, it's not good. Maybe Rom will unionize the uh, the workers <laughs> on the station now. That would be great. He just like he he just keeps doing it. Yeah, <laughs> that's his thing. Love that about him. The birthday party that night provides a great setting to establish when nice becomes threatening yeah all keiko does is be nice she's a great host she made some great food it looks like everyone's enjoying themselves and she play and o'brien plays off of her in such an interesting and fun way because o'brien is falling apart inside and he's moody and he doesn't like seeing the strange person in his wife's body interact with all of his friends and coworkers. And he's the one that looks out of place, not her. There's some great direction in this. Like, there's kind of like a not super long, but longish oneer of him coming into the party and like you know interacting with everybody. Like Keiko isn't out yet, but she nails the timing of coming out with the birthday cake, and mm-hmm. and it's like I think. I think what you get from Colomini's performance is that he was hoping to come back to just her so that he could have a yeah. intense back and forth with her and say, like, I did I did what you asked. I changed all the communication relays or whatever. But instead, what he has to do is, like, be on and be bubbly and friendly and act like nothing is going on because uh, part, of the, part of the deal here is that if he, if he tells anyone else and... Uh, whatever has taken over Keiko catches wind of it. Uh, that's her ass. Yeah, there's a really fun scene where O'Brien is talking to the computer about uh, the scan results of Keiko and is like running down a list of options to to yeah. either knock her out or or something. And and yeah. every answer to every question is like it's not fast enough. Yeah, he he needs to get her unconscious in less than a hundredth of a second, according yeah. to according to her, so... Keiko has made it pretty clear that she am become Dead Man Switch, right? Yeah. So, like, if if at any point she detects her body is being fucked with, she will kill the container. Like, she's yeah. gonna kill Keiko. This, uh, this novel I'm reading right now, like, a character comes aboard a spaceship and uh, tells everybody that he has, like, a nuke in his head, uh-huh. and that if they do anything to him, it will go off and, you know, blow up the ship. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's one of those things where like they're just they're forced to believe him because they there's no way to determine one way or another if he's telling the truth. Hey Ben, and, does that guy have a mushroom haircut? 
I don't know. What What do you mean? You know, like a mushroom cloud if he has a nuke in his head? Oh. Uh, you know, I'm, just, I'm just playing around with words this episode, Ben. I haven't been imagining him that way, but right. uh, I thought you were referencing something specific. You were just referencing the shape of yeah. the explosion that happens when a nuke goes off. Exactly. <laughs> O'Brien and Keiko do find a moment to sneak off by themselves when O'Brien smashes a whiskey glass in his bare hand. <laughs> this is after finishing the six fingers of whiskey that were that was, inside. That was an insane pour. <laughs> <laughs> I've had some hard days, but I don't know if I've ever come home <laughs> pouring yeah. 17 fingers of whiskey into a glass. Poured, poured yourself a Spanish beer glass full of whiskey. and <laughs> <laughs> Neat, too. Yeah, neat. Wow. Not refreshing. This guy must have an incredibly high tolerance because I would want to keep my wits about me if my wife's life was on the line. Yeah, and you know what? On a birthday, uh, the real stuff is getting busted out. So that's no synthahol. No. She explains to him while she is uh, uh, using the butthole closer on his hand wound that the communication stuff that he was working on this time was... uh, Just her way of making sure that he was willing to do what she was trying to get him to do. And the the real modifications he's going to be making to the station start tomorrow. Right. Yeah, he's he's killed a stranger to join the gang. And now the real gangster shit's about to begin. Yeah, he's jumped in. Yep. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. We see the aftermath of this party, and Mm -hmm. she puts, I'm going to say, 66% of the cake into the replicator to be dematerialized and put back into the system. You don't see it floating out the window? I think that that is a a perfect illustration of the problem with cake. It's too sweet. People don't really like it that much. People think they like cake, but too much cake is just too much. I would argue that leftover cake is trash, and that's one of the things that makes pie superior. Leftover pie is often better than yeah, first day a, pie. A pie that sat around for a day has uh, has only marinated. Right. Whereas, uh, yeah, you cake get that, gets stale and shitty. You get that bottom crust, nice and gooey. Yeah. Comes out of the plate real nice. That's what you want. Pie for breakfast. It's what I want every morning. Yeah. Can't have it. It'd be bad. Incidentally, there are references to the pa wraiths and the fire caves in this episode, and Jake is the first one to ask about them. Don't tell me you believe in wraiths. It seems like just a kind of like an innocent question that isn't a plot point when he first brings it up. Yeah, it's it's treated a little bit like a haunted house in kind of a jokey way. Like, oh, you're, you're going to go to that old abandoned cabin? Watch <laughs> out for the ghost of... Whoever it is, like everyone, there's no one who treats this seriously. Uh, the fire caves are real, but the pa wraiths are kind of a punchline at this point. I never said I believe in them. But they're kind of, they dangle there yeah. as, a, as a thing that is referenced in a way that is a little bit ham-fisted, I think. Like, it's yeah. like, oh, I wonder if that is going to play into the solution to this or the explanation for this in any way. Yeah, it's a very early snap into place by a couple of pieces. Yeah. I mean, I don't hate it, but it it, it 
it leapt out at me. Sometimes you like something like that a little later in the episode, too. Yeah. Oh, Brian has to be curious about what it's like to fuck a paw wraith, right? Like, yeah. it's got to be fucking bonkers. His curiosity is almost satisfied, right? Yeah, he's got to hop into bed with her and yeah. sleep like a normal wedded couple. She insists that he, he sleep alongside her, I guess to maintain the illusion that she is who she claims she is. Don't be too late. You've got a busy day tomorrow. For Molly's sake, right? For Molly, because, yeah, she doesn't want Molly dropping a dime on her. <laughs> I guess. I would have loved a little bit more Keiko and Molly, like just Keiko and Molly scenes. Right. Or or scenes where Keiko was with Molly. And we, we get the one where she's on FaceTime with Molly, but yeah. I, I would have loved a little bit more of O'Brien like seething that this this imposter is touching his child stuff. That FaceTime was pretty dark. That felt like a hostage video to me in all the right ways. Yeah. No, it was great. And Molly was uh, blinking in Morse code. <laughs> that was cool. Holding up that newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Proof so the of next life video. <laughs> yeah. Uh the morning after O'Brien gets his instructions. And once getting them, he's sort of free to roam. Like he has tasks to do, but on the promenade he incidentally like he asks where Odo and Captain Cisco are and they're in the security office and he he makes up a reason to be on the promenade to go there, but like as soon as he cops them across the hallway Keiko calls to him from the railing, from the uh, from the creep rail that Jake and and Nog used to hang out at. Yeah, a, a rail that we've complained all the time about for safety reasons. But it's just not high enough. It's not. It's not to code. Keiko proves our point by going ass over tea kettle <laughs> and uh, crashing to the floor. This is not the first person we've seen go over this rail, though. No, I don't think. No. Definitely not an OSHA-approved uh, railing height there. But Keiko uh, takes a bump, like takes it flat, the way you want to as a wrestler. Like yeah. she uh, she displaces the force across her body. And it's why in the infirmary later, uh, Bashir says it could have been so much worse. It's just, uh, it's just a couple of bruises, a hairline fracture, and a gash. Yeah, Weird, right? But there is the very awkward moment where Bashir's like, so you want to talk to her? You should really talk to her. She's your wife. Get on, get on in there. And, and O'Brien's like, busy. <laughs> and all Keiko wants to do is make out, which is the most awkward part. Yeah. Uh, the, that scene where she insists that he kiss her before he leave and Bashir is like watching from the door is the creepiest scene in the episode and so well done. It's great. Because Kalamini has to do all of the work of like expressing disgust and and repulsion, but also it's his wife, but also his friend is watching, so he has to like make it look good. He makes that that little mouth. Yeah. The little little kiss mouth. Yeah. (laughs) It's really good. Yeah. Yeah, but missed opportunity for O'Brien to uh, to confide in Odo and Captain Sisko, and Keiko knows it. Yeah. It's scary. This was all to demonstrate how close uh, she is to dying if he falls out of step. I'm counting on you. 
So O'Brien sort of wanders out of the infirmary into uh, the promenade and Worf finds him and asks about Keiko. If there is anything I can do, I wish there was. O'Brien has to tell her that she's fine, but still sort of like spacey and shell-shocked. Worf has seen Keiko's gash before. Uh, He's seen it all. (laughs) Jesus. So uh, it's interesting that he's asking questions about her condition. (laughs) Are we canceled now? (laughs) I would support canceling us at this point. That was uh, one of the rare (laughs) pre-writes. And if you'll notice, if you were to back up this episode a good 30 seconds to a minute, I set it up. Yeah. Set it up set it up in the deep background. Wow. That's professional work right there. I am a professional jokesman. Dogpa to temple. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> cancel me. Don't cancel Ben. That was I am the Bashir in this moment. I I'm, killed the plant. I'm, pro- I'm I'm cancelable, I'm sure. Yeah. The point of this scene is that like O'Brien really wants to tell Worf what's happening because yeah. Worf, Worf seems like as a past security man. He might be able to do something, but it's just another opportunity he can't take. It's too risky. And then also the subtext is that, like, O'Brien has a ticking clock now. And yeah. any stop and chats are burning time he really desperately needs to get the station set up. For him, all I need to do is just say, oh, yeah, that was kind of rude. That was not rude. I don't have to do a stop and chat with him. He's given him 13 hours. And, yeah. and so, like, the next scene is him, like, trying to get started on this when... None other than Rom sticks his head out of a Jeffrey's tube, and uh, O'Brien kind of hits on something fairly brilliant. Like, Rom is the wrong guy in the right place at the right time. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. He is a perfect patsy because, like, the case that the that the Paw Wraith has been making is that it knows everything that Keiko knows, and yeah. Keiko knows O'Brien down to his little subtle facial expressions that nobody else picks up on. This is like like my wife can tell when I'm on Twitter just by like the facial expression I'm making when I'm looking at my phone. Wow. Because she can see me like trying to compose a joke, you know? <laughs> oh, I and thought- it's, uh, And it's written on my face. I took that the other way. I took that oh, as, uh, that I'm as someone bad. saying a bad thing, yeah. Oh, because somebody's being mean to me? <laughs> yeah. If I look like I'm feeling bad about myself, that's why. <laughs> I'm on Twitter. Twitter.com, the soul-crushingest website. Twitter.com, the depression machine. <laughs> You're really right about Rom, though, uh, and his utility here. Because he O'Brien doesn't really have a relationship with him. So Yeah. But he's also a capable engineer, so like... O'Brien can put Ron, and and he's a little doofy. So Ryan can, O'Brien can kind of rope him into this scheme and get him going on it, and give him a this is a this is a secret, and Ron will believe it storyline. I was disappointed that Rom didn't bring up breakfast to him. I thought this would be a perfect time to uh, just work breakfast back into the conversation. Yeah. So now that now that uh, I'm on swing shift, what do you like to eat for lunch? <laughs> yeah, that's as what, predicted, it's not fun to do <laughs> to do that impression. Yeah, bad impression. <laughs> the impression police 
want Adam. <laughs> yeah, the impression police put me in the back of the cruiser, not protecting my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they let you ding yourself on the on the door jam there. We get an exciting engineering montage, Ben, and I think there's a reason why don't why we don't see these too often. It's just panels being pulled off of walls yeah. and, and dildos being shoved into tight places. Yeah, but I love that they licensed the uh, working in a coal mine song. Yeah, <laughs> really great. <laughs> an increasingly bedraggled O'Brien ends up at Ops at the end of his shift, and he's uh, shocked to find Dax standing above him. This is a this is a part of ops that typically explodes. Yeah. So so we're set up to feel stress in the establishing shot, but it's it's weird that Dax is hovering over him because Dax should be asleep. I want you to have a look at something. She was supposed to be asleep and she was like up late going over anomalies because that's her that's her like meditation is anomaly science. And uh she Realized that something was amiss about the way the sensor array or something something about the station was not was not working properly, and boy, Kalamini's performance in the like she has him red-handed but doesn't realize it yet scene is fucking great. Do you think uh, if Dax was trying to pick out a movie to fall asleep to, uh, she would have a stack of Jean-Pierre Jeunet films and uh you know she'd consider picking up uh an alien resurrection a a a delicatessen or anomaly <laughs> yeah maybe city of lost children <laughs> i have never had a worse show than this i'm <laughs> You're doing better than I am, man. I'm standing in a batting cage just like getting hit by softballs. What are you talking about? (laughs) You're doing better than I am. If you've never had a a worse show than this, what does that say about me? Ben, my question about Dax's insomnia is, is the ankylosaur inside her, is it possible for that to be on a different different time zone than you? Like, are there times when when it wants to be awake and you want to go to sleep and you're like, frustrated by it and it's frustrated by you like can you turn off the the lamp i'm I'm trying to sleep over here yeah i wonder how often you're kept up by it sorry i need it i'm 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 totally engrossed in this novel yeah (laughs) fucking ankylosaur ankylosaur that's got to be a pain in the ass i i think my wife needs about two fewer hours of sleep per night than i do really like she can just function like I don't know. Like I, I sleep like nine or ten hours most nights, and wow. she's like, I think she could, she could be perfectly happy with like six. That's tough. Yeah, that's tough. I need to get into a rhythm to to feel like six is enough. Like the the six hour outlier, I definitely feel. But if I rip off an entire week of six hours of sleep, like I'm feeling fine by day three. Really? Yeah. I was making me tired just thinking about it. <laughs> I need an adjustment period is what I'm saying. Wow. I don't want to get the sleep bends. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a total baby. I'm not sleepy all the time. I'm sleepy at bedtime. Mm. But uh but yeah, man. 
I get in bed at like 10 and set my alarm for 8.30. That's a pretty good podcast life right there. Yeah. So uh, unanswered questions about Dax's insomnia, but uh, she is there to share her her suspicions about there possibly being a saboteur on the station. She holds up a couple of sabots. (laughs) Hence the word sabotage. In her hands and says she found these. And in the Man. wardroom, she brings Man, them to the I meeting. Had, I had a joke written about that, but... Do yours. No, Maybe it's, it's the one we keep. No. My joke is, wor- is worse, but it's I, also later. Okay. Maybe so, drop that in later. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think, I don't think I'm going to drop it in. I don't think it's as good. I don't like that. I think, I think you should leave it up to me as the editor. I'll take it out if it's bad. Well, it's bad. I, I, can, I can... Listen, it's a joke I wrote. Three hours ago. I know it's bad. <laughs> Take my word for it. It's unclear whether or not Dax and O'Brien go to the wardroom from here and like yeah. have a super early morning meeting, but there is a McLaughlin group in the wardroom. Issue one. I think the most confusing thing about this episode is what time things are happening at because yeah. people keep making a big deal about what time things are yes. or like how much time has transpired. Except for we never feel anchored in any particular time. Very true. Yeah. And it's in this meeting that uh, <laughs> that thing happens where a couple of characters are describing a fourth person in the room exactly. And O'Brien is starting to freak out because they're they're describing the method of sabotage and who might be the person, like who the saboteur could be. It has to be someone familiar with the station systems. Someone with a lot of access. Maybe even someone on the maintenance crew. Yeah. And they're saying everything about O'Brien without saying anything at all. Yeah, it's like a cop movie where the cop gets stuck investigating a murder that they committed or something. It's some real telltale heart shit because O'Brien is like really feeling the heartbeat of this moment. Yeah, like the money shot of the of the scene is when he goes over to the window and the shot is like him in focus in the foreground and... The three of them talking about who this could be in soft yeah. focus in the background. Yeah. Why are in you acting the, so weird, Miles? Yeah. Meeting's over here. During this scene is when the FaceTime from Molly and Keiko comes in. Yeah. And uh, and this is, you know, like Keiko will miss no opportunity to remind Miles what is on the line here. <laughs> so he winds up fingering the perfect fall guy also. Right. Uh, and there's a fucking hysterical shot of... Rom Harvey Oswald is, like, watching a movie <laughs> and gets pulled out of the crowd. Yeah, just, like, laid out on the floor working in some, in some you know, equipment bay. Yeah. His butt crack is, like, the most prominent part of the shot. And then his head mimicking that butt crack right above it. Yeah. There, <laughs> it's a nice lobe. symmetrical composition here. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the uh, Odo takes Rom into custody as the saboteur. It's great that it's Miles O'Brien involved in this whole thing because he has agency and technical prowess to get into and out of trouble. Because as soon as Rom gets thrown in the clink, your mind starts racing about like, what is he going to do? And how is he going to communicate with him? How is he going to you know, keep the cover-up going. And so he immediately does that thing where he disables the security cams and microphones and that, that frees him up to go visit him in the brig. Yeah. 
Yeah, I kind of wondered, like, does the computer have the ability to do all this work and he's doing it by himself for some reason? Because he does say, like, finish this calibration and then walks away from it. It's funny. Pyrath Keiko gives O'Brien, like, the list of things on a pad. And <laughs> O'Brien just, like, slumps onto the couch and is, like, hitting buttons and flicking things and, like, <laughs> working from home. Yeah. The work from home episode of Deep Space Nine died in the writer's room. <laughs> yeah. What's great about this scene is that Rom is ahead of Miles O'Brien on the whole plan. Like, he yeah, gets it. Is Rom smarter than Miles? He's dumb like a fox. Yeah, because he's, he's, figured, he's figured out that it's all of these modifications have served to turn the station into a, a great big chroniton emitter pointed right at the wormhole. We know of the value of chronotons from Star Trek First Contact when Commander Riker looked directly into the camera and said, time travel, (laughs) right after they picked up... uh, Oh, oh, you mean my close personal friend, Jonathan Frakes? I do. I do mean the same. Yeah. Which is interesting. If you were going to use a weapon that would kill the wormhole aliens, and you know the wormhole aliens exist in a kind of unstuck-from-time situation... A chronoton particle is a very interesting weapon here. Yeah. Yeah. The, it's something that would never harm a corporeal. Right. But it would... Or it the would, wormhole itself, maybe, right? Yeah. Do you think it would collapse the hole? I don't think so. I think it would yeah. go into the hole and collapse what's inside. But crucially, they like the the way Rom talks about this is like it would it would kill them before they know it hit knew it hit them. Right. Just over in a flash. Which I think is like maybe a bit of a, a hand tip on the on the episode part. Shit, you're right. Yeah. Man, I wish that line of dialogue wasn't in it. I mean, I think it has it has to be somewhere, right? Because you You like, can't just go A to C on They've spent the, so much time working on the like on the like amount of amount of time that needs to be Yeah. Like like to get the to get the possessor out of Keiko it's it's one one hundredth of a second I think and like so before it knew before they knew what hit him is enough time presumably right but it does kind of it does like the episode is solved like almost 10 minutes before it's actually over I feel like there might be a slider here where maybe taking some dialogue out of the first mention and adding it to the second or some some mix here might might make it better than it is. Yeah. But it does clang a little bit here. It's just in a way that a lot of shows are like, like there's this delicate balance of not pandering too much to the lowest common denominator viewer who just is oblivious or watching on their phone or whatever. Right. Or, or watching while on their phone that, yeah, it's, it's a hard, hard thing to do. So I get it. You get why shows do stuff like this. Yeah, and I think that like when you've written yourself a a puzzle like this, it is basically impossible. Like you need to have this information that it right. it's yeah. before they would know it they knew what hit him. Right. But I I really like this scene. I I love the like the ECUs that it's shot in. I agree. Yeah. And they're doing little subtle pushes, aren't they? Yeah. I I think the the camera work is it seems very strong in this episode. A lot of really nice portrait uh, shots of of the characters, and 
you know, like for an episode where O'Brien and Keiko and, and Rom are all going through so, such major emotions, it's really nice to get as close as we get to see them kind of process that. Right. Morn, morn, morn. Dear, sweet, morn, morn, morn. You hear, buddy? Morn, stop. Hammer time. One thing I wanted to talk about in this scene is uh, is the placement of the commercial break. And mm. I think it is super intentional and important to discuss because before the commercial break, Rom has put everything together uh, about the chronoton emitter and its effects on what the wormhole aliens would be. Why are we trying to kill the wormhole aliens? And then we get an O'Brienized commercial. And when we come out of the commercial, O'Brien and Rom are still talking. And it's a scene where Rom displays total understanding of Bajoran myth and pa wraiths. What are you talking about? And like he puts the story together. And I think without the commercial break, Rom comes off as impossibly knowledgeable about every situation having to do with the episode. Hmm. Unbelievably so. And so I really feel like uh, that was written intentionally for that reason. I think if you give Rom the entire run unbroken to not only solve for what O'Brien's doing, but also solve for Keiko, I think it's, it's unbelievable. That's a great point. I think that's really well written. And I, and I guess, I don't know. I wonder like, cause the chief does try and do the TNG thing of like getting the computer to tell him the like critical piece of, mythology to understand what's going on earlier in the episode and the computer spits back like there are thousands of things written about pa wraiths (laughs) you know like it it just be it's like i can't do this much homework in the time i have yeah uh, to to like solve this problem and it's great that rom is like has already done that homework just in hanging out with lita which is, I, I think, a big reveal, right? Like we haven't actually seen them get together. Yeah, they have been like spending the time. They've been spending time together. Do you think it's interesting or strange that you know, for all of the information trading back and forth between O'Brien and Rom, O'Brien never discloses to Rom why he's made these changes, and Rom is never suspicious of him for them. Like Rom doesn't know about the Keiko thing. No. But he does he does put it together that they a you know like a pod wraith couldn't go back to the temple without killing the the prophets first. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting like invisible ink kind of moment in the story and the script. Like because I think as a viewer you are assuming a knowledge that Rom doesn't have. Yeah, and. and- does O'Brien says like she a couple of times in talking about. And Ram just doesn't pick up on it, does he? Yeah, no. It's never explicit. Wow. Strange. But it, but the episode is so tight and like it works super fast that like there's a moment where you consider it, but then you're just on to the next. The like one of my favorite moments in the episode is when Ram says, like, if you need me to stay here and play the idiot, I know the role. Yeah. Like it really makes you think about like what's really going on with Rom. Yeah. He does have some insight, doesn't he? Yeah. O'Brien goes straight back to work because he's on the timeline that we've talked about. Uh yeah, but he's, and he's running out of time because like 
He's had to go distract himself, and he's back into the modifications he's making when he gets out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Odo didn't even need to disguise himself as a as a drink cart or anything. Have you ever watched Scooby Doo? <laughs> There's a moment toward the end of every episode where there is a monologue about all the clues that led up to the moment where they take the mask off of the bad guy. <laughs> and like as soon as Odo gets to the end of that moment O'Brien punches him in the face yeah O'Brien's like a uh, little chin music here for you Odo yeah about not something he could have gotten away with earlier he would have just uh, he would have been punching pudding at that point <laughs> this time yeah. he he lands clean yeah you fi- I feel like uh the ability to knock someone out in one punch is something that is used in film and television occasionally. I don't know if it's true. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's what you hope for. The longer a fight goes on, uh, the worse and uglier it gets. Yeah. If only every fight ended that quickly. Uppercut! You win. But anyways, the uh, the modifications are complete, and O'Brien gets on the radio with Evil Keiko, and uh, they agree to meet at a runabout. She's briefly like, "How did you know I need to? I needed a runabout." And uh, <laughs> he acts like he put this in, together all himself. He like <laughs> Keiko, like the real Keiko, comes through, and and she's like, "You're never this spontaneous ordinarily." <laughs> like. <laughs> It's I've been wanting bit- to go on vacation a lot, and you never want to rent a runabout. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a bit like the way he left Bashir holding the bag earlier. He doesn't give Ram credit for putting this all together Yeah, in this yeah, moment. Yeah. But they get on the runabout. He uh, he gets clearance, and then uh, they, they head for the wormhole, and... Uh, Evil Keiko starts to get real excited. Oh, you have no idea how many centuries I've waited for this. Let's get on with it. This is like the bank heist that's actually happening. And, yeah. and O'Brien's the wheel man. He starts uh, punching in stuff, and uh, we cut back to the station, and just like tons of lightning start emitting from it. And in ops, they're, they are realizing something pretty messed up is, is about to happen. And uh, Worf is like, this looks very familiar to me. <laughs> well, move over, Worf Lightning, because Keiko Lightning is the new hotness. Yeah. That, that lightning hits the runabout, and uh, Keiko lays waste to Michael Dorn's previous lightning performances. It's true. You know, she did her research. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, she is totally spasmatic. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the beam has been aimed not at the wormhole, but at the runabout. And uh, before the power wraith knew what hit it, it did. You really want to do this here? Now, okay, okay, let's do it, do it. We cut back to Casa O'Brien in the aftermath. Like, she hits the ground, and then we're back in the casa. Yeah. And Keiko seems better now than she was in the infirmary after falling off the railing, even though she's been hit with uh, with gigawatts of wharf lightning. Yeah. She's fine. Right before that, we get the scene of them coming off of the off of the landing pad and like Odo like working his jaw and Cisco yeah. saying, you've got some splaining to do. Right. But 
it is pretty clear that everything is forgiven. Right. All the way down to bonsai trees. Like, O'Brien gets to be the hero somehow. <laughs> yeah. Pretty messed up. Pretty messed up The Keiko never apologizes either. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's not I mean, fair. Just a real double standard there, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> she she talks about what it was like to have a paw wraith in her head, and it was like coiled up around her mind. Yeah. Miles never got that deep. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. You got you to gotta be a real stick man to, to reach the mind. Loki, a great character moment for him is saying like, you don't have to tell me about that if you don't want to. And her saying like, no, I like, I want to talk about it and unpack it. Like, It's like, weird that O'Brien could also find common cause here and be like, my mind was also briefly taken over and you were there. Remember? <laughs> they are, they have a lot in common now after this ep. It's true. The button on the episode is in Quark's. We get a, we get Quark's bookends here. Because uh, Ram has been promoted to the day shift. He's yeah. really been bouncing around. I think his sleep life is totally fucked up at this point. Yeah, he's super tired. Not because he was working all night or in jail or anything, but because he was out celebrating. And a bit undercutting the stuff about Lita earlier, he says like one of the ladies on the day shift likes hanging out with him. Well, maybe they have an open relationship. Maybe. Ram is really a player. Was Rom promoted to day shift because of his willingness to conspire with O'Brien? Like, is that part of it? He's willing to do bad things. And then he gets a promotion. Yeah. That's weird. That is but weird. But I guess it's just a shift promotion, right? Like, it's not a rank promotion. It's just like, right. sometimes when you've got seniority, you can have a, a better schedule. These guys are mostly, like, plunging out clogged toilets. It's not, like, <laughs> that often that, like, highly sensitive missions get down to the engineering staff of the station. Do you think Worf's toilet has two holes in the bottom? <laughs> Anything fewer would be without honor. Yeah. You really got to give Worf's toilet the, the golf ball test, don't you? <laughs> That's what you call a plumber's lament. You get, wow. uh, you get yeah, Worf that, sitting on that thing. That is the classic lumber, plumber's <laughs> lament. <laughs> Don't know if I agree with Rom's breakfast order here at the end, though. This really sounds like something you'd get at a at a Weston Maui. That's what you ordered at a, at the uh, Hash House of Go Go in Vegas. I got uh, great big pancake. I got I got bananas pancake. It was delicious. Yeah, that's a good banana pancake was, at that place. It was the size of a manhole cover, though. It's huge. You know when your pancake uh, creeps over the sides of your diner plate? That's a lot of pancake. Yeah, it's a lot of pancake. A lot of episode to discuss, Ben. Did you like it? Uh, I did like it. I thought it was a lot of fun, a fun adventure. Great Rosalind Chow episode, great Colomini episode, great Max Grodanechik. Uh-huh, yeah. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Hey, you gave it a try. Yeah. It's possible that some sebo have been thrown into my pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> Did you like the episode, Adam? A lot. A lot, a lot. Um, but I only liked it up to a point, Ben. Uh, mm. The absence of Nana Visitor uh, did put a ceiling on my enjoyment of the episode. I will give it that caveat. Yeah. 
Your, as good as an ep can be without a nah. Your your girl is uh, is palling around with Shikar on Bajor. Our our girl's shooting babies. She was uh, out giving birth when this episode was was shot and made. Yeah. So there it is. Good for her. Congratulations, Nana. Congratulations, indeed. It's a, a belated congratulations. <laughs> yeah, like twenty years late. <laughs> Uh, one thing that is also 20 years late most of the time are the readings of our Priority One messages. You want to see what we got, Ben? Would love to. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message is of a commercial nature. Yeah. The message goes like this. That's twice as much money for us. Woo! (laughs) Because companies are less cost sensitive than humans. Yeah, that's the whole, that's the thinking behind business class seats on airplanes. Yeah. Uh, Companies are not people. Love's Lust Lost is a comedy adventure novel about Captain Dick KK. (laughs) That could be Kake. K-A-H-K-A-Y. Kake. I'm going to say Captain Dick Kake as he rises through the ranks and betrays the only woman he truly cares about. Whoa. It's a universe journey novel spun off from a It's All Been Done radio hour. Buy it now on Amazon. And then uh, we're given a URL. You can go to https colon slash slash tinyurls.com slash loves lust lost. Wow. I'm clicking the link right now. There it is. You can get this. You can get this bad boy in paperback, on the Kindle, both of which very reasonably priced. Cool. Oh, and we got some uh, ratings on here. We've got uh, three five-star ratings for right. Love's Lust Lost, and uh, it's written by Jerome Wetzel. Jerome Wetzel is the author. Great. So check it out. Yeah, this sounds this sounds like a fun read, huh? It's All Been Done Presents is a multi-platform entertainment company based in Columbus, Ohio that produces podcasts, written work, video, and more. Wow. So that's the story. What fun. Yeah. Uh, sounds like a great uh, a great project, and I uh, hope the friends of DeSoto support them. Adam, we have a second Priority One message here, and it's from Rob, and it's for Ben. Oh, no. It says... You picked my 35th birthday to call me an arsehole in front of my friends for not supporting Greatest Gen financially. As you can see, it worked. Thank you for recruiting me to the Friends of DeSoto and for reminding me of my first duty. You truly are a man of special conscience and among the most human souls I have encountered in my travels. Wow. Well, Rob, I, I, uh, I'm sorry to have called you an asshole or an arsehole. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever called anyone an arsehole. Yeah, I don't think so either. That doesn't sound like me, but uh, I, uh, well, either way, I apologize. Uh, but thank you for supporting us. I'm glad it worked. And uh, happy, happy 35th birthday. Rob, I take great umbrage in your <laughs> description of Ben as a man of special conscience. <laughs> A descriptor saved specifically for me, well, Kevin Uxbridge. Kev- Kevin, you, you obviously have a special conscience. I would say you have the specialist conscience, but other people can have somewhat special consciences, you know? It's a continuum. 
Like the Q. Benjamin R. Harrison is a is a good man, but I don't think he's got the stones for genocide. <laughs> I certainly don't. I uh, I admit it, Kevin. I, I have I have no willingness to fit that crime. Ben doesn't have the stones for genocide, but you, the viewer, may have the money to purchase a priority one message, and uh, both styles go a long way to supporting the ongoing production of the show. The uh, the personal message is one hundred dollars, and the commercial messages are $200. They're great for uh, birthdays and books, as this episode is a great example. Thanks for supporting the show. Gotta get that, get that gold press A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I mean... One of the most pure expressions of Shimoda is like the actor having the best time. I don't feel like anyone's having a better time than uh, than Rosalind Chow here. Like yeah. she is really exploring the space of of the entire episode, uh, and she fucking crushes it. Like there's the Shimoda that makes fun of the recipient, and that is definitely not what I'm doing here. Like I think she is having the most fun. For me, it's got to be her. What about yeah. you? Rum got the shits from bacon. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that that's a good one too. That's my drunk Shibota. <laughs> uh is the next episode gonna give us the shits, Ben? Only you can tell us. What's it gonna be about? Next episode is season five, episode six, Trials and Tribulations. Wow. Big episode. Cisco Big travels ep. back in time to a pivotal moment. In the history of the original Starship Entrepreneur. What we're going to do for this episode is we're going to drop this episode on our regular Monday. Then the next Greatest Discovery episode that comes out will be about the original The Trouble with Tribbles episode. So it'll be a very tribul... tribular... triblier? A a tribble tribute. There you go. God. That was great. Really glad you're really glad you're here for that. I don't know if it was great. I think it was medium medium okay. Our tribute to the Tribbles. It's Tribble Timber. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, uh we better find out how we're gonna watch that up then. Yeah, we better do that. Oh, only I can tell us. Let's head over to Gach.biz slash game where we keep the game of buttholes. Will of the Prophets. Wouldn't it be great if this were a Quarks Bar episode? We are right on the doorstep of one. We're on square 17, just tickling the ear of Quark's head. And you and almost it, always roll ones, Adam, so the, the chances are not bad. I know. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. All right, here we go. I have rolled a six, Ben. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Fuck. A wow. six. A six really blows that Quark's Bar episode away into the deep background and puts us on the doorstep of a banger. Fuck. So there we are. A regular rep that I intend to celebrate with a couple of beverages personally. I think. I think it's only right. Yeah. That, that a silly episode gets a silly drink. So maybe we'll do something like that. We should come up with a triple cocktail. Something with a little fur in it. That is disgusting. <laughs> you gonna you gonna grab some pubes and drop them in your your cocktail as garnish? 
Fucking Maybe. gross. I don't know, man. It does sound kind of gross. Can't wait to watch it, Ben. This is one uh, I've heard about quite a bit over the years, and I've never seen it myself. Oh, it's a it's a really cool episode. Yeah. Uh, they had a lot of fun with it. Looking forward to, in the meantime, folks who like the show can head to MaximumFun.org slash donate to support it. Uh, you'll get access to all of our uh, all of our bonus content. There's tons and tons of bonus content on there. It's true. You should also listen to The Greatest Discovery, our other Star Trek podcast. We got two. It's a Star Trek about all the new Star Trek, and there is so much new. There's a lot going on over there, and, uh, you know, it is it is currently in, the, like, every other week off-season mode, but I can't imagine that's going to last much longer. It is a fun, like, creative sandbox for us. Yeah. Having to do with Star Trek. It's good. I'm glad we have it. So, give you're it a You're missing listen. out if you're not listening to that show. We gotta thank Adam Ragusea, who makes all the music for this program, and Dark Materia, who made the original Picard song upon which the Cisco song is based. We gotta thank Bill Tilly, who makes trading cards every week, posting those on Twitter using the hashtag GreatestGen. Seek out the greatest generation on social media. You know where and how to do that. And with that... We'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine. That's doing that thing where you're like, feels like you got a hair in your mouth and you're like, you're like pinching your tongue, trying to get it off. <laughs> trying to get that hair out of your mouth. So you're yeah, like, it's very, very distracting. Yeah, no kidding. Do not like that feeling. I think I swallowed a few big hair. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.